Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, uh, turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number one. When you have it, I want you to say, I got it. If you're still looking, don't worry. We got a Bible for you. It's on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse number two. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse number one again says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, everybody say mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Therefore I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Amen. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, uh, this is an attempt to collect the debt. Amen. This is an attempt to collect the debt. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. 89%. 89% of all Americans are in some kind of debt. Of that 89%, 25% believe that they are so deep in debt that they will die in debt. And if that be the case, if 89% of Americans are in debt, then most of you in this room have picked up the phone, answered it, and heard these words. This is an attempt to collect a debt. Any information obtained will be used for that purpose. I don't care if it's a car loan, if it's a home loan, a student loan. If you've had debt and had somebody call you to collect the debt, when they get you on the phone and they identify you, they have to tell you that this is an attempt to collect the debt. And any information obtained will be used for that purpose. That statement is called the mini Miranda. And it is mandated by the federal government that any time a debt collector calls you, the same way the police have to read you your Miranda rights, every bill collector has to read you the mini Miranda and inform you that this is not a conversation that we're having on a social basis, that I'm not your friend, I'm not your homie, I'm not calling to check on you even if I ask you how was your day. That when I get on the phone with you, this is an attempt to collect the debt. And any information obtained on this call will be used for that purpose. 
And although many of us may have had to deal with bill collectors, many of us use that block function on our phone, many of us know how to dodge bill collectors, many of us grew up like me before we had cell phones who had a mama in the back room that would holler to the front room to tell them that they weren't there. <laughs> All of us know what it's like to be in debt. All of us know what it's like to have something that you owe another person and want to pay them back but lack the capacity to pay them back in full. All of us know what it's like to be in debt. And whether you know it or not, beloved, this is the argument that the Apostle Paul is making in Romans chapter 12. Paul is in Romans giving us the fullest explanation of his theology. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Paul, who once persecuted Christians but was rescued from destruction by God on the Damascus Road. This same Paul writes the book of Romans to tell us about how God created a perfect world, how man and his sin threw that world into chaos, and then how God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from destruction. And what Paul wants his listeners or his uh, readers to know and what he wants us to know as we read this text is that if you have been saved by God, you are in debt. Yeah, I don't care how much you go through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. I don't care how, many, how, you, how well you use the envelope system. I don't care how good your budgeting is. I don't care how good your credit score is. If you are a believer, Christ did something on your behalf and you owe him because he did it on your behalf. And Paul is saying that when you understand that you are in debt to God, your understanding of your debt to God will change how you respond in your life to God. That when you realize that you owe God everything, you will then change how you serve God in your everyday life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Paul says, if you really understood that you were in debt, you would act different. Yeah. See, it's different. When uh, a bill collector calls you and they got the wrong number or you've already paid the debt and they still calling you, you got a little bit of an attitude. You feel like you entitled. Hold on. What, you calling the wrong number. You get smart. But when you know that you ain't paid that car note and the repo man could be coming, you're a little bit more humble with the bill collector when they call. You hear what I'm saying? Because you understand that you owe something that you don't have the capacity to pay. And too many Christians treat God like they don't owe him what they really owe him. Like when God requests something of them, he's coming out of the clear blue sky. He does not have a right to ask us for anything. He doesn't have a right to demand anything from us. When the reality is we are only here saved and in our right mind because we owe something to God. Okay, y'all sleeping on me, uh, but let me help you. The reason why you came to church today should not be because your favorite preacher is preaching. It shouldn't be because your favorite singer is leading praise and worship. And it show shouldn't be because you didn't have anything better to do. You should show up in church every week as close to on time as you can because you recognize that you owe him something. Okay, this is not for the people here who just slid up in here and think that they're doing God a favor. But is there anybody in the building who understands that I owe God something? God help me. You can look at your life and know that you owe God something. Is there anybody here like me that's grateful because you know that you're living a life that you don't deserve to live? 
You got stuff that you're not qualified to have. You're living in blessings that you shouldn't be living in. It's because God has done something for you that you could not do for yourself. And every now and then on a Sunday morning, I got to get up and get dressed. I ain't got to put a whole suit on, but I got to put on something and make it to the house of God because I remember that I owe him something. Is there anybody here who knows that they owe God something? I feel like preaching already. I owe him something. I'm, I'm in debt to God. And so then Paul in Romans 1 through 11 is explaining to us the fullness of the reality of the gospel. He tells us things like in Romans 5 and 3, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. He tells us things like Romans 8 and 18, that I consider that the sufferings of this present time will not be worthy to compare with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He tells us things like in Romans 8 and 28, all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose. He tells us things like in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus you shall be saved and then he gets to Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and says therefore therefore he's saying in light of everything that I've told you about the goodness of God he's saying because God has rescued you you owe him a debt of service. And so Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, gives a theological mini Miranda. He's telling the Christians, now, since I've established ownership of the debt, I've got to collect something from you. And so then he says, forgive me, I grew up in the Baptist church, so I, I memorized this in BTU in the King James. He says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul says, I got to collect the debt. Whether y'all know it or not, I'm almost finished. Paul says, I got to collect this debt. But see, the problem with some of y'all is you will look at this scripture and you'll see other people that owe the debt and you'll be like, that applies to them and not to me. But see, my first job out of high school, my first job out of high school, David, I was a bill collector. My sister's husband at the time worked at this big collection agency. He got me a job that I wasn't qualified for fresh out of high school. I got the job, and I learned how to collect bills at this job. And the first thing that you got to do when you're trying to collect the debt is you've got to make the debtor recognize that they do owe the debt. Yeah. You got to get them to take ownership of the debt. So the first question that the text gives us then is how or why rather do I owe him? Why do I owe him? If you're taking notes, I got three quick reasons why you owe the Lord. You ready? The first reason why you owe the Lord is because he met your mistakes with his mercy. God help me. He met your mistakes with his mercy. I know y'all think that's clever, but I promise I'm in the Bible, David. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren. 
by the mercies of God. Now, you got to understand, oftentimes, I told you this last week, we confuse grace with mercy. Yeah, we confuse grace with mercy. Grace is God's divine enablement to complete a task or an assignment. Grace says God requires something of you, but you don't have it in you to give God what he requires. So he gives you grace so that you can meet his requirement. Grace is help. Grace is assistance. Grace is favor. Grace is gas in the tank, but that's not mercy. Mercy is when you deserve punishment, but God withholds punishment that you do deserve and meets you with kindness that you don't deserve. God help me. Mercy is you deserve a whooping, but I give you ice cream instead to me. A uh, uh, mercy is when you should be punished, but God gives you kindness. And the Bible says that when God sees your mistakes, he meets your mistakes, not with the punishment that you deserve, but he meets your mistakes with his mercy. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but is there anybody in the building that can look over the course of your life, that can look back over your life story and see that you've made too many mistakes to count, that God's should have walked away from you a long time ago that you've been crazy you've been stupid you've been trifling you've been messed up you've been a gossip you've been crazy but God didn't meet you with what you deserve God help me is there anybody here that can say I, I, I messed up and I should look worse than I look but God help me here you look better than what you're going through you look better than people that went through what you went through God help me it's because God didn't meet your mistakes with mess but he met your mistakes with his mercy and is there anybody here who can testify that it is of the Lord's mercies that I'm not consumed? That life should have ate me up. That problems should have ate me up. That depression should have taken me under. That I should have gave up on my marriage. I should have gave up on my children. I should have gave up on my ministry. I should have gave up on my mental health. But it's of the Lord's mercy that I'm not consumed. God said that when I met you, I should have met you with wrath and judgment because the wages of sin is death. But I met you in the middle with some mercy is there anybody here that can say he had mercy on me that's why I'm here right now because he had mercy on me he had mercy on me yeah that's why I owe him I owe him because he met my mistakes with his mercy but secondly I owe the debt because he took my place in punishment now you got to understand that just because you didn't pay the price, somebody had to pay the price. That the price had to be paid. That the payment for sin is death. And somebody had to pay it on your behalf. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Bible says that Jesus paid the price of sin on your behalf that because you got a bad attitude because you trifling because you lazy because you're ever late and never on time because you are stingy because you gossip all the time because you are like to turn your face up at people who don't come from the same social economic background as you God says you deserve to die But instead of making you pay the price for your own sins, I'm going to step in and have my son pay the price for your sins. And you get to walk free while he hangs on a tree 
in your place. Okay, uh, you don't get it. I, I, was, uh, I was driving uh, on the toll road one time, and I was following one of my friends. Uh, we, we were driving uh, from St. Louis to Illinois, and um, I had enough change, Monique, uh, for one toll. He had enough change for another. We didn't know that it was three tolls on the road. So we go through one, drop the change in there, we good. Go through the second one, drop the change in there, we straight. We see a third toll, and uh, this is before GPS was like it was. It's like 2009, right? Uh, I'm trying to avoid the toll. And he said, Reverend, if you, if you swerve that way, you're going to run us off the road. We ain't got no choice. But to go through the toss, said, man, there got to be a way we can go around. He said, you can't. We just got to go through. It's a line at the toll. And the cars go through the toll. And they're working their way down through the toll. And uh, it gets to us. And I'm like, well, Lord, <laughs> you're going to have to do something. And we get up to the window, and I'm driving slow because I don't want to get up to the window because I ain't got no money. I'm looking under my floor mats. I'm trying to find something. I'm telling my friend. I was like, Doc, you got to empty out your pockets. This is your city. You, you from St. Louis. You got to have something. Y'all got a cold word or something that you can use to get us through that toll. We get to the window, and all we see and I'm not trying to be funny, lady, but we see this, this hand with these long nails on it going like this through the window. So I'm thinking she tell me to come up. She look at me. She popping her gum. Roll us all the way through. She look in the car and wave to my friend and say, hey, Pastor Mike. And he said, oh, hey, daughter. She said, y'all gone. I was able to get through the gate. Not because of what I had. God help me but because of who was traveling with me. God help me. And God says you owe the Lord a debt, not because of anything that you did, but because you had somebody traveling with you. God help me. See, you come to church and you think that you're here because of some goodness of your own. But the only reason why you're saved and sane in the sanctuary is because there was a savior that paid your toll. Is there anybody here who can say he paid the price for me? He took my place. I had a debt I couldn't pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe. And I'm grateful to God that he took my place in punishment. Yeah, he took my place in punishment. So I owe him because he met my mess with his mercy. I, I owe him because he took my place in punishment. But then I owe him. <laughs> I owe him because he saved my life. I, I know I know that 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 that's like real plain, right? I could have found a, a better and more articulate and alliterated way to communicate that point. I, I should have, right? You know, I, I've been to school, uh, my mama teach English. I mean I, I should have found it. But but see, sometimes we miss the point that you are here because his death saved your life. 
He gave up the right to live life on his terms. Not so that you could live life on your own terms, but so that you could live your life on his terms. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Bible says, listen, listen to the text. He says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living, what? Sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God. But this is the part of the text that messes me up. He said, which is your reasonable service. The NASB says, this is your spiritual service of worship. The Good News translation says this is the least that you can do. The text says because God gave his life for you, he's not now asking you to die on a cross to pay him back. But he's asking you to lay your life down as a sacrifice before him. God help me. He's saying that because Christ gave up his life, now you need to give up your life. But here's the problem. I feel like when it comes to paying this debt, many of us would rather die on a cross than live for Christ. <laughs> many of us want to do big and great things. But we can't do the, the small thing of giving Christ our life. He says, if, if, if you really understand that you owe the debt, you owe it because you should have been dead. You should have been cut off. God did not have to forgive you. God did not have to redeem you. But God decided to save you. And because God decided to save you, your life is no longer your own, but your life belongs to Jesus Christ. Oh, man. <laughs> so, I got to quit. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Corey, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I told you this is an attempt to collect the debt. So in order for me to collect the debt, first of all, I got to establish why you owe the debt. Why do you owe him? Because he met your mess with his mercy. Because he took your place in punishment. Thirdly, because he saved your life from destruction. But after I established ownership of the debt, in order for me to be compliant with the law, with the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, I have to give you your methods of payment. After I establish that you own the debt, I'm done now. I got to tell you, how do you pay the debt? Well, the answer is clear in the text. He says, the first way you make payment is by presenting your body. <laughs> he says, if you're going to pay the debt, you first of all have to present your body. What is he talking about? He's not talking about your bodily parts, but it's inclusive of that. He's talking about the whole of your being. He's saying that you need to present all of you to Christ as a living sacrifice. Can I be technical for a moment? 
When he says a living sacrifice, you have to understand contextually this is the first time that terminology is used in the entirety of Scripture. Because before this point, every sacrifice was a dead or a dying sacrifice. That in order for it to be a sacrifice, it had to die. But because Christ has already died and has risen again, the Bible says God has no need, beloved, for a dying sacrifice, but he has need of a living sacrifice. He says, since Christ has already died for you, it is now your responsibility in repayment of the debt to live for him. God help me. Uh, since he died in your place, you beloved are now required to live in his place. God help me. That's why you are now called on the earth the body of Christ. God help me. Because the physical body of Christ died and was resurrected and sits in glory at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for us. We now become the hands and feet of Jesus. That's why you got to be careful how you treat people when you're wearing a faith restored shirt. You got to be careful to control your road rage when you got a decal on the back of your car because you're no longer living for yourself. You're living to represent God. Is there anybody here who understands that I've got to present my body? God help me. I present my body as a living sacrifice. What does that mean then? It means, number one, I lay down my desires for myself and I pick up his desires for myself. Anybody ever made a vision board? Anybody ever written down goals in a journal? Anybody got aspirations that they're pursuing in 2019, things that you want to see happen? How would your goals and your journaling and your vision board change if you were living as a living sacrifice? If you understood that your life was not your own, that you were not living to fulfill your dreams and to achieve your goals and to meet your desires. What, what would you do differently? How would you spend your time? How would you allocate your money? How would you do things differently if you understood that God has called you to be a living sacrifice? And my contention, the whole point, the thesis of this message is we would respond differently to God if we understood that we owed God our entire lives. If we understood that we are only here as believers because God has allowed us by his mercy to be here. And that in exchange for the gruesome price that Christ has paid on Calvary, God has not called us to do our own thing, but he's called us to do his thing. But how many times do our goals and our aspirations and our hopes and our dreams have more to do with what we want than what Christ wants from us? If you're going to pay the debt, you've got to present your body. But that presents for me a problem. Because if we be honest, I don't want to present my body. Anybody? Can we keep it real? I know we got some super saints. Y'all keep your hands down. But any real people that can say on Monday when you wake up, you don't feel like presenting your body? You don't feel like presenting your body nowhere. You don't feel like presenting your body to the shower. You don't feel like presenting your body to your job. You don't want to go no place. I mean, hopefully you, that, that shower thing wear off by Tuesday. You know what I mean? But uh, 
Some of y'all, I know God's still working. But he says you need to present your body. But I don't want to present my body. How do I, and, and, I, and I live, I told y'all last week, right, that the days are evil. Y'all heard me say that? That the days are evil. So how then do I present my body in a society that tells me that I don't have to present my body? Live your best life. Get your passport stamped. Spend your money on what you want to spend your money on. What has the church ever done for the community anyway? Why are you still tithing? Why do you show up every week? They should be glad to see you twice a month. We live in a culture that stands in contradistinction to the reality that God has called us to present our body. So how do I present my body when everything around me is telling me that it's no longer necessary for me to present my body? That's the problem that I stumbled on when I'm studying the text. Because if I read verse 1 and I stop at verse 1, it seems like Paul is commanding me to do something that is impossible in this present age. Because God wants all of me, but society is telling me that God don't deserve all of you. As a matter of fact, God don't even for real, they reinterpret the Bible. They tell you that God don't even really want all of you. That he doesn't even want your body as a sacrifice. He just wants a piece of your body as a sacrifice. He wants a piece of your time. And if you give God the scraps that fall from the table of your life, he'll be satisfied with those, right? Because he's an understanding God. How do I present my body when the world is telling me that I don't have to present my body. You get stuck until you keep reading the text. Because in verse 2 it says, if you're going to be uh, able to present your body the way you do it, verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so the first method of payment beloved is this you've got to present your body but you can't present your body unless you bring this second method of payment you've got to change your mind oh god look at somebody and say change your mind you you've got to change your mind he says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind he's saying that the world is trying to put you into a box and they're trying to tell you how you should live I was taught me and my wife we watch so much CNN it's stupid we we, we we've gotten we've gotten numb to CNN now we, we turn it on for background noise we be uh, talking about all all manner of foolishness and CNN playing in the background but one day I turned CNN off for a long time I, I mean for me it was a long time for y'all it was only four weeks but for me that was like forever I turned CNN off for like a month because I never seen so many people who claim not to believe in God trying to interpret the will of God and tell us what the Bible means you got people who admit that they are not Christians trying to tell us well what the Bible says about homosexuality in the Old Testament was just for that time and uh, those are the same scriptures that tell you not to eat shellfish and that you can't have this and that and, and I'm sitting here are you a preacher now I don't tweet at you telling you how to report the news Don Lemon you all in my area of expertise misquoting and misinterpreting the Bible but you have a culture a Google 
Facebook, Cliff Notes culture, where people feel like because they know a little bit of something or because they Google search something or because they heard their favorite talking head say something, that that's the truth. And the reason why they're able to get over on us as Christians is because sadly we don't read our Bible. Most of you quote more podcasts and YouTube videos than you quote scripture. And you don't even realize that some of the people that you're quoting as preachers ain't preached the Bible since you've been listening to them. That is the way that the enemy conforms you to this world. Do you hear what I'm saying? All of us in some way or another are guilty of groupthink. Where we vote a certain way. We think a certain way. We like a certain person or like a certain genre of film or like a certain genre of music or listen to a certain artist because everybody around us is liking and listening to that kind of an artist. We allow ourselves to be conformed to the word. And can I tell you how I know it's wicked? I can tell you that it's wicked because we allow that to happen everywhere except the church. If you go to a movie and a good part of the movie come on and people start clapping, you'll be in your seat clapping too. If somebody walk in, if you at a concert and they say everybody scream, everybody starts screaming. But then when you come to church and Michael Holloway says, everybody lift your hand. Why are he telling us how to worship? I can't worship God in my own way. You'll be, on, you'll be on your couch in your living room listening to them sing that in the arms of an angel and call that stupid number and give some money to save some animals. But then the pastor will say, everybody get a seed in your hand. I don't know what he's talking about. I ain't got no seeds. We ain't got no temple anyway. Boy, it's funny, boy. People will be astute about disobedience. And you that spiritual to where you can argue your way out of heaven to give to the church, but not spiritual enough to know that disobedience is sin. If you're going to disobey at offering time, stay your tail at home. Don't sit up in here and listen to a message and hear all this good singing and then put your hands in your pocket. Now, if you ain't got no money, I get that. I've been there. I've put lint. Anybody, I grew up old school. Anybody ever had to touch the table? <laughs> boy, I was, I was a table touching fool, boy. Look, at first I was shamed when I had to go, money goes. I'd be shamed, right? Be sneaking. After a while, you get broke for a while, you be like, hallelujah, it's coming. They'd be like, oh, here comes Josh again, about to touch the table. I'm coming. Slap it loud, I ain't got no money. <laughs> but there's a difference between not having money and not feeling like God is worth your money. Or having a spirit of rebellion because somebody's asking you for your money. If you're that spiritual, then be your own pastor and stay at home. You conform to this world when you allow the world to inform how you respond to God instead of 12-1, allowing the mercies of God to inform how you respond to God. People who are debt-free respond different to bill collectors than people who are in debt. And ain't nobody in here debt-free. You hear what I'm saying? 
I don't care if you are tithing. You could give more. You're not debt free. Some of y'all are giving and think that giving it is, is an excuse for serving. You're not debt free. Some of you think that you're serving and you're giving, but you don't come to church regularly. You're not debt free. Do you hear what I'm saying? And we get excited about the gifts and I can holler and we can shout about being gifted. But if we act like we're not grateful for the gift that we have, which is salvation, God is not giving you any more gifts if you don't appreciate the first one that you have. And the first gift of grace is salvation. Now, let me help you. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Uh, the grammatical structure of the text suggests that he's not just talking about a transformation that affects you. But he's talking about a metamorphosis. That is the Greek word in the text, metamorpho. He's talking about a transformation that not only affects you, but affects those around you. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's saying that the transformation of Christ in your life should not only change your life, but it should change the lives of everybody around you. So now the world is not influencing you. But you are influencing the world in your sphere of influence. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. See, we got too many. Let, let's, I'm going to be real with you. <laughs> My wife told me I could say it like I want to say it. So if y'all feelings are hurt, blame it on her, not on me. But some of y'all are trifling, man. Like, like for real trifling. And, and, and I don't mean like for play play, right? I mean like you, you are for real for real, for real, for real, trifling. And let me tell you how I know, right? Because you fall up in God's house, whether it be this house or whatever house you go to when you're not here. Uh, like you doing God a favor. And don't realize that every time you come in here, God is doing you a favor by not killing you for your jacked up attitude. See, this is my problem with Christians who don't read the Bible, right? And you can't start in the New Testament. Can I help y'all? You can't start in the New Testament because the New Testament brings you in to the middle of a love story that's reaching its climax. Right. If you skip the Old Testament, you get to miss the domestic disputes that precipitated Matthew. You miss how angry God gets when people disobey his word. You miss him turning Lot's wife into a pillar of salt because he said, look forward and she looked back. Like she was missing something in Sodom and Gomorrah that God couldn't give her in the promised land. You miss out on when God wiped out a whole earth because of a flood. You miss out when God burned up the children of Israel. And you miss out on all of these things that are given to you in the law and the prophets. Right? And we understand now that God doesn't relate to us based on his anger, but he only does that because of Jesus Christ. But even though he does not relate to us based on his anger through Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that the things that used to make him mad don't make him mad anymore. It's like, it's like God has a swear jar, right? Y'all ever had a swear? Well, y'all good fuck. I'm Baptist. Uh, we had a mason jar in our house, you know, growing up because I'm, I'm, you know, we Baptists. We say them words sometimes, you understand? You shouldn't be cussing all the time, you know, but every now and then there's a slip and 
Grace will catch you when you fall, praise God. <laughs> I sound like one of y'all now. Uh, but it's like God still gets mad about the stuff that he got mad about, but because of his son, he decides not to deal with you according to his anger. But he still gets mad about the same stuff. So you being trifling with God's stuff still makes God angry. And he still has the right, because he's God, he can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it, to treat you however he wants to treat you. But because of his love for his son, he decides not to treat you the way he wants to treat you. <clears throat> because when he looks at you, he no longer sees you, he sees Jesus. If you're in him. That's why it's important, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that you be in Christ. Don't be around him. <laughs> Don't be a fan. Be in Christ. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You hear what I'm saying? You got to be in Christ in order to escape the fear of wrath and judgment. But see, I think we miss that because God has dealt so kindly with us that we forget what God is capable of if he ever decides to let grace come off of us. And the world is so used to God's mercy that they've gotten too familiar with God. And we, if we're not careful, we'll watch so much TV, we'll watch so much reality television, we'll watch so much show. Look, have you ever found yourself, you ain't got to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass any of y'all because y'all grown, y'all too old to be acting like this. But, but you know, I'll, I'll talk about myself. There have been times before I for real stopped watching, uh, watching reality TV, and it's not an indictment, do you? It's on my DVR right now. Um, You'll watch a show and pick up the vernacular, the slang of these people. Tamar got y'all sounding like y'all got a familiar spirit speaking about yourself in the third person. She don't do that. <laughs> Who don't do it? Me, she, her. Don't do it. I'm like, that sounds like a spirit. I need to <laughs> cast that demon out. But you know, all you got to do, right, you'll watch the show for a minute and adopt the vernacular of the world. You'll adopt the value system of the world. But then you'll come to church for a whole year and never adopt the value system of the kingdom. It's because you've been conformed to the world. You hear what I'm saying? You've been conformed. But Christ has not called us, beloved, to be conformed. He's called us to be transformed. And when we are transformed, we will become transformative. To now you will not be operating under the influence of a person, but you will be the person who influences others. Aren't you tired of your mood being affected by people? By your crazy boss? By your crazy spouse? By your disobedient children? By the things that happen in your life. It's all right. You ain't got to say amen. Some of y'all sitting next to y'all spout. But everybody got my wife, my husband is crazy in seasons of their life, right? Oh, okay. Whatever. Y'all can front if y'all want to. <laughs> but I ain't single no more. I've been married for almost a decade now. And I know if you married to a black person. <laughs> oh, praise God. Amen. <laughs> 
I don't know no other way, so I don't know how I feel on the other side. <laughs> I got a light-skinned one, and she's still black. Amen. But everybody goes through seasons where other people affect their mood. But the only way to get over that is for you to be transformed. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Christ wants you to be transformed. But, 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 but what's the purpose? And I, okay, I got to quit now. Uh, the purpose is, look at it, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. God says, I need to collect this debt from you. Not because I need anything from you. But I am inviting you to be the proof of what can happen when somebody yields their life to God. You've been doing things your own way for far too long. And you're frustrated. You don't know how you're going to make it half the time. You're always trying to do your own thing and figure it out yourself. You're confused. But God says that if you allow me to transform you, then I will prove. Let's what's going on. <laughs> Lord, that's, that's the song of the Lord. The Lord gave him. <laughs> right in the middle of worship, <laughs> the Lord dropped that beat. <laughs> y'all, I'm sleepy. Y'all got to pray for me. Uh, God says that if you submit your life to me, you'll be able to prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. He says you're going you're to tell people, you're going to be able to show people this is what it looks like when a life is changed. This is what it looks like when I write your story. And how many of y'all are tired of trying to write your own story? Like you try to write your own love story and relationships and it's jacked up. Tried to write your own family story. Tried to write your own educational story and now you got student loan debt. Tried to write your own church story. But God says, if you yield your life to me, present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It says, then you'll be able to prove what that good and acceptable will of God is. All right. Look, first Thessalonians four and I'm, I'm, I'm done for real. Hold on real quick, Mike. First Thessalonians four. Right. Any, how many of y'all want to know what the will of God is for real? Right. And then, okay, one person, two, three. <laughs> like, at least y'all are honest. I, Redman, I, have, I don't care what the will of God is, to be honest. I'm <laughs> too busy doing my own thing. And as a matter of fact, I was texting somebody when you asked the question. Could you repeat that, please? <laughs> what is the will of God? your life. First Thessalonians 4 says, for this is the will of God concerning you, your sanctification. Right? Sanctification 
is the process through which you stop looking like you and become more like Jesus. God says that the will of God for your life is that you look like him. And that's really all I want. That's, that's all I want. I want to be like Jesus. And I want to pastor a church, not that's just full of butts in the seats, but that's full of hungry people who want to be like Jesus. Any, anybody want to be like Jesus? Anybody really want to see your life transformed and be like Jesus? Like, like I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I got parts of my life, things, areas of my life that I want to see Jesus change for the better. And that's what I'm looking for. Stand to your feet.